Welcome to the Seller Roundtable e-commerce coaching and business strategies with Andy Arnott and Amy Wees. Some people are still trying that today. In fact, this week I had at least three or four listing reviews. I do free listing reviews for people and I had at least three or four that people are still launching products like that today. And it's just, yep. it's if you can make money doing it, more power to you. But if yeah. you're trying to start a business with an exit in mind, you do want to be serving a customer and help help them to see value in what you're what they're buying from you, right? And because ultimately a buyer isn't necessarily going to be interested in something that's very easy for them to copy themselves. Am I on the right track there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the approach people took back in, you know, say 2014, 2015. I mean, why wouldn't you, right? Yeah, it was um, very quick money. <laughs> precisely. But now, really, we need to be thinking about the longer game, having a bit more patience and building something into a valuable asset that a potential buyer is going to look at and say, yes, I would like to take that off your hands, please, for quite a lot of money. And the way to do that is to create something that has value to a particular group of people and to get in front of them. Um, actually, there's a great book on this, if anyone's interested. Uh, it's called 12 Months to a Million Dollars by Ryan Daniel Moran. Um, it's a pretty, it, you know, it's, I don't like the title that much. It reminds me a little bit of the 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. It makes it sound a lot easier than it is. But, you know, sometimes you've got to have a, a snappy title to get something to move. It's a good book. It breaks it down into a pretty simple process. Create a, you know, a gateway product build a suite of products around that, get in front of your customer, define who your customer is, figure out their pain points, their challenges, make sure that your products are effectively the, the medicine for their pain points, the, the solution to their problem, find out where they hang out and get in front of them and create a, a group of raving fans. It makes it, you know, I'm, I'm making it sound a hell of a lot easier than it is, right? There's a lot of hard work in there, but that's the straightforward process, you know? Yeah. Going to the moon is straightforward. You get in a rocket, you blast off, you go to the moon. That's not to say it's not incredibly technical and difficult. You know, I'm sure Elon Musk, if he was listening to this, would be uh, screaming about how how complex it is. But you get the idea, right? It's straightforward, but there's a lot of hard work. Still working on getting Elon on the podcast. But... <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Andy, I, I, I have faith that Andy can do it. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> or catch him on Clubhouse. Yep. So... Yeah. I think, you know, the other confusion that's happened in this space between the, all the different types of buyers, the aggregators, everything else is when you're going to build your brand and, and you're, you know, and you're doing this amazing job, how do you go to sell and get the best multiplier for your business? Like, are you, should you be looking at aggregators for the best multiplier? Should you just be casting a wide net? Like, what is the strategy there when you're looking for buyers to get the best possible multiplier? Okay, so before we touch on that, let's talk about what the multiple is because different people will have a different definition of what a multiple is and that can make things a little bit overwhelming when people are researching this stuff. So here's what the definition should be. It should be a multiple of your trailing 12-month seller's discretionary earnings, which is basically your net income plus addbacks. So people listening are probably like, well, what's an addback? An addback is essentially a cost on your profit and loss sheet, which you can add back because the new owner is not going to have to pay for it. So anything, so that includes your, 
the, the income that the owner is taking, for instance, but also includes things that have been done once or never need to be do again. So all the photography associated with a particular product, well, you've done it. New owner is not going to have to do it. Any consulting you've had done, you've done it. New owner is not going to have to do it. Video, um, trademarks, all that stuff. Are you putting your, your phone through your business? New owner is not going to have to do it. So that's, that's, uh, that's ad backs. So the multiple is applied to your trailing 12-month seller's discretionary earnings. So suppose you've got a business that's doing seller's discretionary earnings, trailing 12 months is 100 grand. And it's two years old. It's reasonably diversified. And it's growing. Probably going to get about three, a little bit more, 3x, right? Three times that. But if you're doing 500K sales discretionary earnings, you've got massive off of Amazon sales, lots of intellectual property, huge growth and the business is five years old, could be much higher, four, five, even slightly higher now. Some people in this space, some brokers in particular, they won't be talking about a 3X or a 4X or a 5X because they'll talk about monthly. So when I say 3X, they'll be saying 36X. Does that make sense? So you just divide that by 12. Do you follow that? Oh, got it. Yeah. So yeah. In, instead of a 3X, you're just getting a monthly payment, I guess, on it. Am I understanding It's just that they right? like to... So it's three times... When I'm saying 3X, I'm talking about three times your 12 monthly sales discretionary earnings. Whereas what they will be saying is it's... 36 times your average monthly across the trailing 12 months. That makes sense. It boils down to the same thing. Yeah. It's either so you're calculating it annually or monthly. And exactly. Okay. So traditionally when we're selling a business, a multiple forgetting e-commerce for a moment, a multiple might be something like anywhere between five, five and eight X six and seven was about right. In e-commerce, particularly because of all the risk tied up in businesses, selling through a marketplace like Amazon, where you don't own the customer journey, you can easily be suspended. And just because it's so new to people, this concept of buying an e-commerce business, the multiples have been kept a lot lower. So until recently, 3X was about right, about standard, pretty good. But now multiples are going higher. And the reason they're going higher is we're seeing so many more people coming into this space, so many aggregators raising all that money. It's pushing multiples up. Got it. So I've moved away from your original question, which was, how do you get a good multiple? Lots of ways. First of all, going back to what we said before, you have to build a brand. You can't just be selling stuff. Nobody's going to want to buy a business that's just selling a collection of stuff because there's nothing there for them, right? You need to have a growing business, which has still got some meat on the bone, which allows the potential buyer to recognize that you're going in the right direction, but there's still some growth there for them to realize. An efficient, well-automated business is going to push your multiple up. Age of the business is important. Geography, where are you selling? What mark marketplaces are you selling in? Some are going to be more attractive than others. How many SKUs have you got? How complex is your supply chain? How complex are your products? How risky are your products? All of these things matter. And Katie wants to know, should the suite of products be all related in some way? 
Ideally, yes. So, I mean, you, you don't want to be selling dog toys and um, kitchen faucets, right? <laughs> if you have a business which sells dog toys and kitchen products, that's fine, provided they're two separate brands. And then I would be making the argument in favor of actually those brands being in separate business entities because it gets very, very messy. When you, if you want to sell the business entity, if you want to sell the assets, it's not quite so bad. But even so, your accounts are going to need to be very clear as to what's the dog stuff and what's the kitchen stuff. I like to keep things neat and tidy in separate businesses. And so Got will it. a potential buyer. Got it. So in terms of getting the best multiplier, you want to make sure that you're building a really awesome suite of products that you're you're watching your, what your seller's discretionary earnings are going to be. So if your advertising is really, really costly, you might want to, you know, really take a look at optimizing that and bringing that down uh, because those things are not going to include those, those ad backs, right? So you really want to make sure that your, your earnings at the end of the day are looking really good and that you're seeing growth over time. Um, I know we were talking about this. We've had a couple people on recently, as you said, the space mm. is growing. So we've had a lot yep. of, um, of guests recently talking about this very subject. And I think it's important, you know, and you've brought up a lot of points here that we, we haven't really touched on. So yeah, um, it's, it's a complex one. And it's, again, I keep, I use this word a couple of times already. It's one that people can get really overwhelmed in because there's so much information available on the internet now. There's so many Facebook groups, so many YouTube channels, so many podcasts. It can be very difficult to know what to do. Um, there's a great book. Another, I love book recommendations, if I may. I get nothing for recommending these, but there's a great book called Built to Sell. And I read that book before I sold my business. And it helped me to get everything nice and neat and tidy and properly organized. And this Built to Sell is a great book. It's a little bit like The E-Myth uh, by Michael Gerber in that um, it follows the fictional story of a mentor and a business owner. So the business owner wished to sell his business and the mentor guided him through it. And eventually he went to a broker. And the worst thing you could possibly do is just decide I want to sell my business because you're not going to be ready to sell it. And that is the mistake that the character in this book made. He went to his mentor and said, I want to sell my business. And his mentor said, no, no, no. You can't just sell your business. You have to plan to sell your business. And so you get need to get your business. Even if you're not interested in selling your business now, probably one day you're going to be. So what makes a lot of sense is to get your business valued now by somebody qualified to do that, because then you know where you are. You have a reference point. Otherwise, you're trekking through the jungle with no map. And then you can say, okay, great. My business is worth 50 grand, 500 grand, 5 million, doesn't matter. And I would be willing to sell it for X. From there, you can reverse engineer it or you can work with somebody to reverse engineer it and say, what are the things I need to do to get there? You stack them up like dominoes and you start knocking them down. To A, make the business an attractive proposition for someone to buy and B, make it valuable to reach that target. And how do people find someone who can value an e-commerce business properly? Well, it needs to be... Well, for starters, there's e-com brokers. That's us. A little plug there. It needs to be somebody who's qualified on multiple aspects. So they need to have a deep understanding of e-commerce. They need to have a deep understanding of accounts. And they need to have a deep understanding of uh, 
e-commerce accounts, you have a deep understanding of mergers and acquisitions. So those three things put together make somebody highly qualified to do this as an e-commerce broker, which is what Alison, my business partner, brings to the table. She's got 20 plus years experience in mergers and acquisitions, and she's a specialist e-commerce accountant. So once you get that valuation, you know where you are. You're not reaching in the dark. Yeah, you can start that's exactly what we're doing right now. We're, we're having our business valued so that we can prepare to sell it. And, um, and it's so important to, to, to know what you don't know. You know, I have oh, yeah. the, the pleasure of being able to interview people like you all the time and learn these things, but that doesn't mean that I know what I'm missing or what I need to work on in order to be able to sell my business. And there's no better time than now because, you know, everything is really picking up on the buyer side. Like you said, you know, it's really, really crazy. So I love that exactly how you put it out there. It's like, get it valued first. You know, if we were talking to an aggregator right now, they might say, well, just send it over to us and we'll, we'll let you know. Right. But yeah, um, you're coming from that, that broker side where you're like, okay, know your value first or what you can do to prepare for that and then go from there. Right? Yeah. That, that's the problem uh, with, with a lot of these aggregators, you know, good people. I speak to them every day, but ultimately uh, naturally business is business they're going to want to get your business off your hands for as little as possible. And that probably means we'll sell it to, to us now and avoid the broker fee. Avoid the broker fee uh, is basically them saying, please don't go to a competent broker who's going to properly value your business and ascertain what your real sales discretionary earnings are and your real ad backs, because then we're not going to get it from you for as cheap as we possibly can. Right. Yeah. It's great advice. So I, I think you've kind of answered all of my questions, but let's talk about um, red flags. So of sure. course, there's there's always going to be bumps and bruises in any business. There's going to be things that that every, every business has that they kind of need to overcome, but um, or not overcome when they go to sell. But what are the big red flags? So let's say I built a brand, everything looks pretty good on the surface. Is there anything when people are going to sell that a buyer will look at and go, "Oh my gosh, red flag." The answer is it depends. There was certainly when this kicked off a couple of years ago, buyers were a lot less agnostic and very, very frightened of certain categories. So supplements was a big no-no. However, some buyers now are finding that they actually have the capability to handle that, particularly if the supplements are more on the foodstuffs side. So for instance, turmeric, turmeric supplements. Well, really it's just food. It's just ground up turmeric in a capsule, right? So that's one aspect. Electronics, right? Many buyers are not too keen on electronics or anything that may become technologically obsolete. So if you are selling something like, something like that, I'm not saying you're not going to be able to sell it, but it's going to be about finding the right buyer. And for that, using a broker is key. Other red flags. Age of the business. So we are seeing, again, because more money is coming to the space, there's more competition People, buyers are willing to take on a little bit more risk. But generally speaking, businesses that are less than a year old are, are less sellable. But we are seeing very young businesses, nine, 10 months old now being sold. So it's not to say that you can't get it done, but age of a business is important. And in any case, you're going you can to sell your business for more if you've got a little bit more trading history. So those are, those are two straight off the bat. Um. Your accounts, your accounts have got to be in order. So if you've got cash accounts and not accrual, 
get that organized now. Apart from anything else, you're not going to re realize the full value for your business if they're not done appropriately. Um, there's nothing a, an aggregator likes more than seeing uh, cash-based accounts rather than accrual because they know they can almost uh, pull the wool over your eyes, if you like, in terms of, of, uh, of the offer, especially if they know you're not working with a competent accountant. So Can you that's explain the difference between a cash-based account versus an accrual-based account? Yeah. So suppose you've got a growing business and you're constantly using cash to buy more inventory. So you've got half a million dollars of inventory on hand. Your profit and loss statement is going to say that that 500K inventory is depressing your net income, but it's on hand, right? So it should be outside of the profit and loss sheet. But if your profit and loss sheet... So if your profit and loss sheet has your 500K net income, really it's a million when you consider the 500K stock on hand, right? So when a buyer comes to you direct and pitches you, we'll buy your business in 30 days with no broker fee and you have cash accounts, you're going to undervalue your business by a lot. Or when an incompetent broker just refers you to an aggregator, doesn't actually do any work, the same thing's going to happen because you haven't thought about the fact that that 500k of inventory was on hand. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes, exactly. Yep. You got to make sure that your accounts are in order and that you're working with an accountant who understands um, where your inventory should be placed when it comes to relative your to your profit and loss sheet. And I've, you know, I've done a, I think I've done a reasonable job at explaining that, but this is precisely why, say, in e-com brokers, me on the e-commerce side partners with Allison who is the absolute brain box on the number crunching side. So it's important that you work with somebody, whoever that is, that has experience on all sides of the equation. Thank you. That brings me uh, perfectly into, into my next question in terms of you're getting a little bit into accounting and things like that. Um, you know, what things should uh, brands have in place before they approach uh, a broker and aggregator in terms of like, you know, no past due taxes, um, you know, uh, good books, um, insurance, you know, what are, what are some of the things that you guys are looking at? Um, you know, to make sure that when you package that, that up and go to look for a buyer, that there's not going to be any, you know, anything that's uh, going to fall through the wayside and, and maybe blow up the deal. Yeah. So when you sell your business, quite rightly, the buyer is going to do some really, really thorough due diligence, right? They're going to part with a lot of money in order to buy your business, hopefully. And uh, therefore, it only makes complete sense that they're going to look under every nook and cranny of your business. It's important, therefore, that you get a head start on that process to make it as painless as possible for you and as smooth as possible for them so that they don't come back and say, oh, well, actually, we're undervaluing. You're getting, we're, we want a discount for this, 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 and this. So things to think about. Intellectual property. Make sure your trademarks are in order. Do you require patents or registered designs? What about copyright? Have all of these things looked at by a really, really good attorney. I'm all for bootstrapping your business and saving money, but when it comes to intellectual property, get it done by a pro. I mean, ideally get it done by a pro right off the bat when you're starting. But if you didn't, do it now. Those are, I mean, those are the main ones that will kill a deal uh, is uh, you, 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 know, you are infringing on some intellectual property. It's, it's very rare. Interesting. If you're- Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> no, go ahead. If you're doing anything black hat, stop immediately. And 
don't do it again and keep records. And you really ought to, if you're asked about that type of thing during due diligence, you bear all because the guys that are buying these businesses know what they're, what this industry is like. They know some of this stuff goes on and with any luck, they're going to be transferring what they buy into their own. Let's we're talking about Amazon for a moment, their own accounts anyway. So any history you may have had of anything, if you've done some review manipulation, that type of thing that you shouldn't have been doing, even if it was a few years ago, tell the truth about it. Maybe you've got some back and forth correspondence with Amazon when you got suspended. Keep records of all of that. Provide that. Because if you don't, and then they find out, then you haven't been honest with them. That could kill the deal. Thanks for tuning in to part one of this episode. Join us every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for live Q&A and bonus content after the recording at sellerroundtable.com. Sponsored by the ultimate software tool for Amazon sales and growth, sellerseo.com and amazingathome.com.